This is our first Invite Sunday of 2018, and our topic today of our Invite Sunday is marriages. And, and so that is going to be our focus today. However, that is not going to be the title of the teaching series that we're about to jump into. And it'll all make sense here in just a little bit. But our teaching series that we're beginning today is called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. We're going to jump into this for three weeks starting today. And our core scripture passage that we're going to be studying is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. So if you've got your Bibles with you, got your tablet, your smartphone, go to your Bible app. And let's go to Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then also I'm going to jump quickly to Matthew chapter 6. Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches the same prayer with just a little bit different wording. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then jumping over to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what we have here in Luke chapter 11 is that Jesus is praying and his disciples are watching him pray. And when Jesus wraps up, their response to watching him pray is, can you teach us to do that? You know, John, they're referring to John the Baptist. John taught his disciples to do that. Jesus, can you teach us to do that? And so it says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. There was something about watching Jesus pray that they were attracted to. When they got done watching him pray, something inside of them said, we want that. Something about his intimacy with the Father, something about the power in his prayer, something about the words that he used attracted them, and they said, we want to be able to do that. Can you teach that to us? And I believe that as human beings, one of the ways that we learn is we learn through modeling, right? We learn through watching a role model do it, and, and then we learn from watching them do it. Especially for children growing up, this is a, a huge thing, a huge way that they learn growing up, watching role models do something, and then they try to mimic what they watch the role model do. The important thing about learning this way, though, is that you don't just watch somebody model it you actually have to practice it. Just watching something, somebody model it doesn't mean that you've learned it, and it doesn't mean that you can do it. 
Because listen, I watch NFL football every Sunday. That doesn't mean I'm a great football player, right? Doesn't mean I can go out there and strap it on and go play with those guys. Well, I watch them do it, so I must be good at it. No, I'd have to actually go practice and work out and get bigger, stronger, faster. So the key is we watch somebody model it, and then we practice, we try to mimic what we see them doing. And so as you're learning how to pray, it's totally okay to go listen to other people pray. And you think to yourself, I'd like to pray like them. Man, it just sounds really powerful. I'm really stirred when I hear them pray. I'd like to pray like them. So you get around them and you listen to them pray. That's the first step. And then the second step is you have to actually practice. You have to try to mimic them and put into practice what you see them doing. And then you will develop it for yourself. Jesus was modeling prayer for them. He purposely prayed around them. He purposely invited them into his prayer life so that they could see how he did it and he could model for them what he did. But then when they asked him to teach them, his answer is this in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. I want to stop right there. When you pray, say, Father. There is something profound about this. We read it now, you know, 2,000 years later, and we just think, well, he said to start the prayer with Father. What's the big deal? Well, because at this time, this was the first time anybody had ever given Jewish people permission to address God directly as Father. That's not how Jewish people talk to God. They didn't go to him and say, Father, right? He was Yahweh. He was the Holy One. He was one that, hey, they, they revered Him from a distance, right? God is awesome. I love God, and I'm going to worship Him from back here because if I get too close to Him, I might drop dead, right? That's, that's the relationship they had with God. And so for Jesus to teach His disciples to pray by starting with Father was a major dynamic shift, and the people's interaction with God. He was giving them permission to interact with God in an intimate way. To not interact with Him from a distance. To not address Him with just a royal title of Lord or King. But to come near to Him and to address Him with a personal title like Father. He says, Father. And this is the key, guys. One of the things I want us to grab hold of when it comes to prayer is that I want us to learn how to just talk to God like we would talk to somebody sitting next to us. We, we get this idea that prayer somehow is like a different language, like we have to use a different vocabulary and we have to speak differently than we normally talk to everybody else. Maybe you've known somebody like this who, uh, you know, they talk normal, but then when they start praying, they only pray in King James English. You know what I'm talking about? They start praying and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, Father, our Lord, Thou art so high and exalteth this above all the earth. Right? And you're like, where did that come from? You don't talk like that. In Matthew, in chapter 6, in the verses that we read, he said this, When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So we get some ideas about prayer. One is that we just have to keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again. The other is that we have to sound really smart and intellectual. 
So we feel like I have to use these really big words and I have to speak in a fancy way so that God could somehow be impressed with how intellectual I am when I talk to him. Let's get a reality check here. We are praying to God. God, the divine being who created the entire known universe. The power to create everything. Not only that, but that he understands all of the science behind everything he created better than we could ever understand it. And on top of that, he's omniscient, which means he knows everything all the time. That's who we're praying to, and we think he's going to be impressed because we sound smart? No. He's not impressed with us sounding intellectual when we pray. You know what he's impressed by? The passion and the authenticity of our hearts when we pray. That's what stirs God. Because what happens is we think, well, if I'm supposed to sound smart when I pray, and I don't sound smart when I pray, so I'm just not going to pray. I'll leave that to other people. No, I want all of us to pray. And I want us to talk to God in the language that we normally use, with the vocabulary we normally use, in the way that we're most comfortable talking. So that doesn't even necessarily mean English. Right? There is nothing holy about the English language. If you're most comfortable speaking in Filipino, then pray in Filipino. If it's Hawaiian, if it's Japanese, hey, if it's pigeon, then by all means, pray in pigeon. God gets it. Use the language and the vocabulary that you're comfortable with, and let's address God in a personal way. Father. You say, wow, pastor, you got a whole lot out of one word right there. That's right. When you pray, say, Father. And then listen to what else stands out to me here from this passage of Scripture. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Are you guys hearing this with me? Us, our, us, our, we, ourselves, us, us. There is something about prayer that makes us a part of something that is corporate, part of something that is bigger than, than just who we are as an individual. But a lot of times our prayer life just gets caught up in me, me, me. God, I need this. God, do this for me. God, I'm in trouble again. God, I've done this. And our prayer life just becomes me, me, me. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, there was no me or I in it. It was us and we and ourselves. There is something corporate to our prayer life, and that, that sense of being corporate has to do with who we pray with and who we're praying for. Right? We've got to find a balance in our prayer life because in Matthew 6, 6, he said, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So part of our prayer life needs to be in our secret place. We go to our quiet place where we're by ourselves and we pray alone and we have that intimacy with God. But then there's another part of our prayer life that is corporate, that we pray with people, that prayer is a together thing that we do together. And not only are we praying with people, but we're praying for more people than just ourselves. 
We're praying for the bigger picture of God's kingdom. We're praying for all of God's people. Not only that, we're praying for people that aren't God's people, that they might come to know God. We're praying not just for our family and our church. We're praying for all of Kauai, and we're praying for all of the islands, and then we're praying for all of the world. I want you guys to have a bigger picture of prayer than just me, me, me. That our prayer life would become we and us and ourselves. That we are a part of something when we pray. I find prayer to be fascinating. When we think about this God, this divine being, who created everything and who is all-powerful and who can do anything. There's no problem too big for him. There's no enemy too great for him. There's nothing that he cannot do. And yet God chose to limit himself. And the way he chose to limit himself is that he would only move when we began to pray. He could do it himself, but he won't. He's not going to move until we begin to pray. And so prayer is a divine partnership where God has restricted himself to not move until we call upon him to move. In this divine partnership, I believe that prayer builds intimacy. What is intimacy? Well, in the world, I think the world has a shallow definition of intimacy. They just equate intimacy and connect it directly to sex, right? To be intimate with somebody is to have sex with them. That's a very shallow definition. True intimacy is knowing somebody deeply. It's knowing the core of who they are. It's knowing their heart and the depths of their heart and what makes them tick. And I believe that prayer builds intimacy at three levels. The first level is prayer builds intimacy with the one you're praying to. The second level is the one you're praying with. And the third level is the one you're praying for. Prayer builds intimacy with the one you're praying to, which is God the Father. The more that you pray, the more you're building intimacy with God. The ones you're praying with, as you gather and pray with people, you're building intimacy with those people. And the ones you're praying for, the people that you pray for, God is, is, is creating intimacy in your heart for those people. Even if you're praying for them from a distance, even if you've never met them, God is building an intimacy in your heart for them because you're praying for them. So in our three-week teaching series, we're going to break down all three of these levels, the one you're praying to, the one you're praying with, and the one you're praying for. Now, chronologically, it would make sense to start with the one you're praying to, but because today is Marriage Sunday, we're going to start with the one you're praying with. And this is where we're going to tie together prayer with Marriage Sunday. And I want to talk to you guys today about the one you're praying with. And I want to talk to you about the power of prayer in your marriage and what it begins to develop. Let me just share personally how I view this in my marriage. I feel like for Shannon, there is a lot of things about my life that she has to share. Right? She, she has to share uh, my passion and my time and my energy and all the things that I pour into other people. She has to share uh, those parts of my heart where I hurt for people and I, I, I long for people and I, I weep with people and I rejoice with people. And, and she has to share a lot and she has to sacrifice a lot as, as a pastor's wife for all that she has to share. But you know what? There's a few things that she will never have to share. The first thing is 
is our covenant relationship that we have together. She will never have to share that. I will never develop emotional intimacy with another female. I will not. She doesn't have to share that. The second thing she doesn't have to share is she doesn't have to share my sexual expression. My sexual expression will only ever be through her. I will never find it in another person. I will never find it in a computer screen. She doesn't have to share that. And the third thing that she never has to share is the intimacy that we have together in prayer. That is something that she doesn't have to share. Now, I pray with a lot of people. I mean, I'm a pastor. That makes sense. But I don't pray with anybody else the way I pray with my wife. The way I pour out my heart. The way that I open up in a vulnerable way the depths of who I am. And the things that I share. And the, the, the things I pray about and my fears and my struggles. There is something about that. And so prayer together with my wife is something she doesn't have to share. And that's what makes it very powerful for me and so important in, in our marriage. The other thing I want to look at is this. Here in the United States, the national divorce rate is somewhere right around 50%. Half of all marriages fail. And if you read some studies, they will say that the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world. That it's 50%. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or not, half of all marriages fail. Now that's actually not accurate. It doesn't paint the whole picture. Because when they did these studies, what they did is they asked somebody, do you identify as a Christian? And they would say yes. And then they would ask them, have you ever been divorced? And they would either say yes or no. And based off of that simple reporting, the study says Christians get divorced just as much as non-Christians. Well, the problem is, is just because you self-identify as a Christian doesn't mean that you're practicing the disciplines that set you apart and make something different happen in your life. And so I, I'm, I'm fascinated with some other studies that dig a little bit deeper than just somebody saying they're a Christian. For example... In a 2016 study that was done on 43 couples, and all of these 43 couples had been married for over 40 years. So these are marriages that have stood the test of time for over 40 years. And this is even more impressive when you consider that these couples have stayed married for over 40 years through an era of American history where the divorce rate has sharply increased greater than any other time in American history. And these couples have stayed together and they have stuck it out. So after studying all of these couples, the two most common traits of these couples that have stayed married for over 40 years, they attended church together regularly and they prayed together regularly. See, just saying you're a Christian doesn't divorce-proof your marriage. What does divorce-proof your marriage is attending church together regularly and praying together regularly. Let's take it a step further. There is an organization in Phoenix, Arizona called NAME. NAME stands for National Association of Marriage Enhancement. NAME did a study on the effects of prayer on marriages staying together. They studied 1,156 couples who prayed together every single day. And out of these 1,156 couples that they studied, one got divorced. One 
out of 1,156. If you do the math, that's less than one-tenth of one percent. So praying together every day changes the divorce rate from 50% to less than 0.1%. What does that mean? That means that praying together every day is the most powerful tool that we have to divorce-proof our marriages. More than anything else, more than any conference, more than any program, more than any book, more than anything else that we do is praying together every single day will reduce the divorce rate from 50% to less than 0.1%. And yet, understanding that, how few of us pray together every day. In one study, only 11% of Christian couples reported that they pray together every day. In the same study, only 30% of Christian couples reported that they pray together even once a month. It's the greatest tool that we have, and yet it seems so hard to use. Why is that? Why would we miss out on that? And of course, when I ask that question, then God reminds me, even as your pastor, there have been stretches of my marriage where we haven't prayed together every day. Why? Because if you don't do it on purpose, it doesn't happen. See, when it comes to carnal things, things of our flesh, those things tend to just happen, right? Those things just come naturally. The spiritual things, we have to do on purpose. And so if we're not doing it on purpose, and we're just going about our day, and we get busy, and we have jobs, and we've got families to take care of, and things are going on, and then we just go to bed, and we're tired, and we go to sleep, and we go on the next day, and we just let it slide. And it's not because we don't care about our marriages, it's just because we forgot to do it on purpose. And we need a reminder that we need to do it on purpose. The other reason that it's really difficult is because it can be extremely difficult to humble ourselves to admit, hey, we need to pray every day. That we need help. That we need to tap into something beyond ourselves. It's hard to get to that place. And, and I don't know why, because it's the most powerful thing we have, but it can be really hard to get to that place to just say, honey, can we pray today? Can we, can we, can we finish our day like this? But I'm going to encourage us that this simple discipline of praying together every day is the greatest tool we have. So let's break this down. Why is prayer such a powerful tool in your marriage? I'm going to give you five points this morning. Point number one, why is prayer such a powerful tool? It draws both of you closer to God. And I want to illustrate this, and this is why we've got this whiteboard set up here on, on stage today. I want to try to illustrate this. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a dot here and a dot here. We're going to label this dot H for husband. We're going to label this dot W for wife. So we've got husband and wife, and they're feeling like there's a gap between us. Can you guys over here see this? Let me just pull this back. Make sure everybody can see this. There we go. There's a gap between us. We feel a little distant. We'd like to be closer together. So what do you do? You make a decision. I'm going to move towards my spouse. So the husband makes a decision. You know what? I'm going to do some things to try to move in this direction so that I can move closer to my spouse. And it sounds like a good idea. 
and there's probably a bunch of books written about it, so I can go buy a book about how to move closer to my spouse. The problem is, is we're trying to hit a moving target. Because as you're moving here, your spouse is maybe moving here. Maybe you're thinking, if I go this way, I'll get closer. And your spouse is thinking, if I go this way, I'll get closer. And you've got two moving targets moving around, and you can't figure out why we can't get there and get closer together. Right? It's like coaching kids in, 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 a, in a sport like, like soccer or, or, or football or something like that. Because our natural tendency is to run to where the ball is. But you got to teach kids, you got to run to where the ball is going. Wayne Gretzky, greatest hockey player to ever play in the NHL, they asked him, they said, why are you so great? And he says, because most everybody else skates to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going. Right, so hitting a moving target is extremely difficult. And we put in all this effort and we get frustrated as a couple because we did all this stuff and we're not getting any closer together. So what if we tried it this way? And we put a third dot on our board and we labeled this dot God. And what if as husband and wife we make the decision to move closer to God? What happens? We naturally get closer to each other. It's just simple geometry. If the two of us move closer to God, then just by simple geometry, we have to get closer to each other. It's moving towards a fixed point. I imagine the great Polynesian voyagers who left the islands from the south and began to sail north on their voyages. And at some point, they crossed over the equator. And when they crossed over the equator, a new star appeared in the sky that they had never seen in the southern hemisphere. And the amazing thing about this new star is that it didn't move. It was a fixed point in the sky. Every other star they knew moved at different seasons and different times of the year. Every star would move. But when they crossed the equator to the northern hemisphere, there was a star that never moved. And they learned that they could gauge all of their navigation off a fixed point in the sky that never moved. And today we know it as the North Star. God is our fixed point that never moves. And if we draw closer to God, then as a married couple, we naturally draw closer to each other. Praying together is a powerful way for us to move towards that fixed point so that we know that we're also moving towards each other. Now, these straight lines look really nice, but let's be honest. As humans, we don't move towards God in a straight line. It looks more like this, and I see this drawn on the chalkboard in Dr. Val's office all the time. It looks more like this, right? Okay, and eventually we get there. Okay, so don't get caught up in the straight line. Just get caught up that we're making progress. We're moving closer to God. Number two, why is prayer such a powerful tool in your marriage? It gives you a sacred view of your marriage. When you pray together, you begin to see your marriage as something more. It gives you God's view of your marriage. Your marriage is not just two people trying to live together. It's not just a partnership where you're trying to work things out in this family partnership. It's not a business transaction. It's not any of those things. Because the truth is, if it is, those things are really easy to walk away from. I can walk away from a partnership when it's not working. 
I can walk away from a business transaction when it's not working. Your marriage is something more than that. Your marriage is a divine covenant. And because it's a divine covenant, it has a divine purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for your marriage. There is something about your marriage that is bigger than just the two of you. There is something about your marriage that God is going to use for His kingdom and His glory. Something about your marriage is going to touch and change other people's lives. There is a purpose to God bringing the two of you together. Yes, you saw her. Yes, she was gorgeous. Yes, she just rang your bell and you were like, I got to be with her. And you decided to marry her, but it was God that brought you together. And He brought you together with a purpose. And when we see that divine purpose for our marriage, we'll persevere through the hard times. We'll keep going when there's conflict. We'll keep pressing on when things seem to have run dry. Because I'm not going to walk away from this because God has something bigger for us. Adam and Eve were the first married couple. When God created Eve, Adam and Eve came together. They became one. And what did God do? He gave them a purpose. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That's a great purpose. Can I get a hallelujah? Okay. Um, oh, you guys are too stuffy. Come on, loosen up. All right. He said to be fruitful and multiply, and then he said to subdue the earth and have dominion over the earth. This is from Genesis right at the very beginning. God took the first married couple and gave them a purpose. And to this day, all of our marriages have a purpose. And the more that we pray together, the more we see our marriages as sacred, the more we understand that purpose the more we're going to stick together. Number three, it softens your heart towards your spouse. Prayer softens your heart. A research study showed that prayer and anger are incompatible. They don't work together. You can either pray or you can be angry, but you can't do both, right? And so what happens when we're fighting with our spouse? We are angry, and when we're angry, we just want to be right. And we're going to dig our heels in, and we're just going to prove that we're right. And if we need to rally some allies to join our side just to get some backup to prove that I'm right, I'm going to pick up the phone. Hey, I'm right, aren't I? Okay, we got to prove that we're right. To decide to pray means you have to let go of your anger. And the fascinating thing is that research showed that just deciding to pray has a calming effect on you. Before you even actually start praying, just deciding to pray. So what does that mean? That means in the midst of our fights, it's getting heated, we're a little angry, we're going at it. Somebody has to be the one to break the ice, to stop in the middle of the fight, to say, hey, you know what, can we just stop and pray? And just that simple statement can we just stop and pray, will have a calming effect like a vacuum. It'll just suck the anger out of the atmosphere and it'll give you clarity and give you a chance to come together. And when you pray, it softens your heart. Because when you're angry, you just want to win. And if I have to hurt my spouse to win, then I'm going to hurt my spouse. And if I got to say something dirty, if I got to use some dirty tactics, if I got to use some cutting techniques that, that hurt my spouse, I'll do it because I got to win. When I start praying, I don't have to win anymore. And the more that I pray with my spouse, I don't want to hurt her. And I don't want to have to lose my marriage to prove that I'm right. And I don't want to have there to be a, a wedge in between us, a space in between us, 
because I just had to win. It softens your heart. The more that we pray together, it will soften our heart. Does that mean it'll take the fights away, Pastor? <laughs> no. No, it won't. But it'll soften your hearts, and you'll even fight differently. You won't fight to win. You'll fight to be understood. Number four, why is prayer such a powerful tool? It changes the way you view your spouse. Praying with your spouse changes the way you view your spouse. Listen, we are naturally selfish creatures. Left to our own devices, we will always choose selfishness. We will focus on our feelings, how it affects us, how it changes my day, what it does to me, what I have to deal with. We will focus on me and how it affects me. And then what we'll do is we'll interpret everything our spouse does in light of me. And we start to view our spouse then as a hindrance. Man, there's some things I'd really love to get done, but man, my spouse is hindering me. We view our spouse as an annoyance. Man, I'd just like to be happy, but my spouse just keeps making me upset. Right? We view our spouse as being an adversary. They're always coming against me. But when we begin to pray with our spouse and pray for our spouse every day, we begin to view them differently. We don't view them in light of us and our feelings. We don't view them as a hindrance or an annoyance. We begin to view them as a gift that God has given us, that he has blessed us with, a gift that makes my life more complete, a gift that makes me a better person. And instead of praying prayers like, oh God, change my wife. God, could you make her stop doing that so that my life could be better? And instead, our prayers start sounding like, oh, God, change me so that I can love my wife more. Change me so that I can treat her better. Because you begin to view your spouse differently the more that you pray with them. You begin to understand their heart. Even more importantly, you begin to trust their hearts. Because you know what it's like when you don't trust your spouse's heart? You don't trust their motives. They say something and you immediately start analyzing it. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say it like that? What are you really saying about me? I know what you're really trying to get across. Oh, I'm the only person that's had that fight? Come on. All right. Let's be honest here. We start praying for our spouse. We start praying with our spouse. We see them differently. And God changes our hearts so that instead of thinking about me, 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 I start thinking about how can I love my wife better? How can I serve her more? How can I understand her better? And the more that I pray for my wife, the more that I understand her heart. And come on, guys, can I get an amen? That's a miracle right there, okay, when you can understand a woman's heart. And number five, why is prayer so powerful? Because you receive instructions. Praying together is like divine marriage coaching. Right? We, uh, um, we'll, we'll go to marriage coaches. We'll go to life coaches. We'll go to therapists. We'll go to conferences. We'll do all this. But we won't pray with our spouse. What is that? And I'm not against marriage coaches and, and therapists. I, I'm a big believer in psychology. But why would we go to a marriage coach if we won't just pray with our spouse to get some divine marriage coaching? That when we pray together, God will begin to give us step-by-step -step instructions on how to navigate our marriage. 
He'll begin to give us step-by-step instructions on, on how to make major life decisions, on how to resolve conflict. And it doesn't mean that he'll fix your problems. It means he'll give you step-by-step instructions on how to maneuver through your problems. And we can tap into that divine marriage coaching. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word, O Lord, is like a lamp unto my feet. Right? It's not a spotlight giving us the big picture. It's a lamp. And if you picture those old lamps, you know, you carry it. It's got a candle inside of it. It's that one candle power lamp. Okay? What does it do? It just lights the ground in front of you. That's all it's powerful enough to do. And so you see the ground in front of you, so you take a step. And then what happens? Now your next step is lit up. And then you take a step, and now your next step is lit up. God will give you step-by-step instructions, divine marriage coaching as you pray together. When I was a youth pastor many years ago, I took a, a youth group on a missions trip down to Reynosa, Mexico. It's down on the bottom tip of Texas. It's a border town right on the border with Texas. And the, the, the first part of the city has actually got some industry. It's a little bit developed. But then you get past that, and, and you're in a full-on developing nation. Abject poverty, shacks, garbage in the streets, dirt roads. And we took our youth group down there. And so we had two vans so that everybody could fit. And the missionary we were working with was driving the front van, and I'm driving the van behind. And all she says is, is wherever I go, follow me. So we start driving, and it had been pouring rain, kind of like it is right now. And there was probably about six inches of standing water on all the dirt roads because they didn't have any drainage. So as we're driving down these dirt roads, this missionary is driving the van, and for no explicable reason, she would swerve to the right, and then she would swerve back to the left, and then she would drive down the middle of the road, and then she's driving way over on the left side of the road, and and I'm just following her going, this lady's crazy. What is going on here? And she would do that every single day as she drove us into the village. Well, by the end of the week, it had stopped raining, and the water had dissipated, And what was underneath that six inches of water was potholes and boulders and bumps in the road. And she knew by heart, because she drove that road every day, she knew by heart where every one of those was. And even though we couldn't see them, she was guiding us around every single one of them. And that's the way that God guides us. There's boulders and there's potholes and there's bumps in the road. And God is guiding us around them even though we can't see them. And those things would have done damage to the vehicle and probably would have stopped us right in our tracks. And yet God is steering us away from those things that will cause damage in our marriage, that will stop our marriage right in its tracks if we will just trust Him and follow Him. And God says, swerve to the right. And so we swerve to the right. God says, go over here. So we go over here. And we don't always understand what He's doing. But He's guiding our marriage through our decisions, through our struggles, through our pitfalls. He's guiding our marriage. So you say, Pastor, what if my spouse won't pray with me? Then it starts with you. You invite your spouse, hey, can we start praying together? And they say, no, I'm not interested. Then it starts with you. You just start praying. Praying for your marriage. Praying for your spouse every day. And what will happen over a period of time is that your heart will change towards them. The way you treat them changes. The way you interact changes. The way you do conflict changes. And sooner or later, they will recognize in the quietness of your spirit that the praying that you've been doing is what's been changing you. 
and they'll be ready. And so you invite them to pray with you, and they say, no, okay, I'm just going to pray myself. A month later, I'm going to invite them again. They still said no. Okay, I'm going to keep praying. A month later, I'm going to invite them again. Eventually, they're going to say yes, and we're going to pray together. If your spouse won't pray with you, then it starts with you. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back, those of you that can. Some of the worship team is going to be our, our prayer team, so they won't come back up. So how do we start? How do we start this discipline of praying together? First, set a time and a place every day that you're going to pray together. Don't just hope it's going to happen. Set a time and a place. Put it on your calendar so that you know it will happen. And there's no holy time to pray. It's whatever time's going to work for both of you. For Shannon and I, we pray together every night in bed right before we fall asleep. That's our time and place. Right? We get in bed right before we fall asleep. Let's be honest. Sometimes I fall asleep right in the middle of it, but that's okay. Um, that's our time and place. That's what works for us. We're not going to try something that doesn't work for us. We're not going to try praying first thing in the morning because Shannon's not a morning person. That would be miserable trying to do that. Okay. What works for you in your marriage and your guys' schedules, set a time and a place that you're going to do it every day. If you don't do that, it's not going to happen. And then start where you are. Pray at your level. If you don't have a lot of experience at praying out loud, then just start at your level. It might sound something like this. You take your spouse's hands. <sighs> Father. See, pastor told me to start that way. I was listening. All right. <laughs> Father. I sure would like to fight a whole lot less. Oh, I feel so stupid doing this. Okay. Uh, Lord, help my wife have a good day. Amen. All right. If that's where you're at and that's where you start, then great. That's a powerful prayer. Start there and just build from there. It's okay to use prayers that have already been written down. The best place to find them is in the Bible. Find prayers that are already written in the Bible and just read them and just plug your names into them. It's scripture. It's powerful. You know it works. Find other pre-written prayers. Just because somebody else wrote it doesn't make it any less powerful if you truly mean it from your heart when you pray it. And you've got to be purposeful. You've got to be committed. We're going to do this. Every day we're going to do this. I am committed. We are not going to let the sun set. We're not going to go to bed. We're not going to fall asleep if we have not prayed together. This is the greatest opportunity that we have to strengthen our marriage. It's the greatest tool that we have to divorce-proof our marriage. I am not going to let it go. I'm not going to let this day pass by.